Nissan Custom Car Care. All right. Good morning and welcome. You got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Miss Sarah, how is the winter wonderland in your neck of the woods? I am over it. <laughs> over it, Dustin. You know, it's so funny. We go from negatives, you know, like less than like a week and a half, two weeks ago, to I see some 60s on the horizon Boy, here. Boy, I hope so. Can you imagine what 60 degrees will feel like versus negative three or negative four? We're not going to know what to do. We'll have to bust out the shorts. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know that, you know, of course, we're in Missouri, so you know we uh, can have a swing the other direction. But I will take in January some sixty-degree weather. Now, um, what that does usually come with is severe weather. I'm yes. sure you've seen that over the years. Um, when it's warm in January, I can specifically remember we had a class at another shop here in Springfield, and it's probably been like seventeen years ago, but. It was a metal building shop, and it rained and hailed, and it was like 72 degrees in January. Yeah. We had an instructor out of Florida who's my very favorite instructor. Kevin, I greatly appreciate all that you've done for us over the years and continue to do for us. But it was a two-night class. We were in a metal shop, and he yelled all the first night over the rain in the, in the shop and <sighs> the tornado guy. sirens. And so the next night, he had no voice because he had yelled the previous night. And uh, he knew when he came from Florida, and it was warmer in Springfield, Missouri, than it was in Florida in January, that he was in for quite a, a right. treat, I guess, if you will. So I shared, I think, last week quite a bit about some of my updated uh you know, everyday carry items Correct. due to having some failures out there from some of our vehicles. Um I hope that struck a chord with somebody out there, I guess, is, is what I'm, I'm getting at. In today's day and age, you had better be able to care for yourself more now than you ever had to before. But I do have a little story, kind of a, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm gloom and doom a little bit. But uh, Mr. O, which is a great friend of the show, mm -hmm. he shared a story with me here. Uh, him and his family went down to Andy's Frozen Custard, I believe. And he was driving his old square body, which he's kind of redoing a beautiful Chevy pickup. We did some some help on that here. I built an exhaust system and did some other things for him when he first got it. But he was having some starter issues, and a good Samaritan stopped and kind of helped him with some tooling to get it fired back up so he can get home. So I feel like we glue and doom, or maybe I do. I shouldn't I shouldn't lump you into that uh, side of the, the show, but... It's nice to see something positive for a while. And the Good Samaritan kind of side of things gets swept under the rug or not acknowledged as much as I think it should. So super glad somebody was there to help Mr. O and get him up and going, which they did. And he was able to get back to the house. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. You got some stories over there. I do, but I figured we would talk about the weather that we mm -hmm. had first Monday. Okay. It was a hot mess out it was. there. Did you have to venture out? I did. So we got a couple of the stores open. Of course, everybody uh, around here got to see the ice. Um, everybody that lived here in O seven, I think. Yeah, 06 and 07, because it kind of went through the new year. Um, 
they talk like that that is a pivotal moment for people here in the <laughs> yes, Ozarks. So it really is. Uh, it wasn't quite that bad this time. We didn't lose power. I didn't know some people. Did you guys lose power? No, we okay. were okay. Now, I know that Ozark was hit pretty bad mm-hmm. from my yes. understanding, but I think that they got it under control within just a couple of hours. And that's a huge thing because you think about heating you know, or backup heating without right. any kind of electricity is a huge deal. Um, so hopefully everybody out there that did go through that, it wasn't too, too long, but a big part of our preparedness plan, if you will, is redundancy, which is what we talk about here on on the show quite a bit. And uh, backup power is a huge thing, or at least having a good vehicle and fuel in there that you can get in and get warm or, you know, drive to a hotel somewhere that has power and whatnot. So, you know, this hopefully was a little bit of a wake-up call, I guess, or a... Uh, a check, if you will, of how prepared everybody is out there. So we ended up in pretty good shape. I got a bunch of firewood put up in the garage before I did that with the boys on Sunday. So before everything hit and made sure that I was pretty much fueled up and ready right. to go. So the husband, he got called in. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that would have been Sunday night at like 10 or 11 before the storm hit. So mm-hmm. they could make sure that they were preparing everything at work and make sure that, you know, everything was safe and yeah. sound. So anyways, he had to travel back home, which we live about 30, 35 minutes away from his job. Not terribly far, but that can be a truck mm-hmm. whenever you have just terrible weather and so that 35 minute drive turned out to be like almost a two-hour drive my goodness and so talking about preparedness thankfully we are prepared Mm -hmm. and if he would have been in a situation where he slid off into a ditch or a ravine Mm -hmm. unfortunately we wouldn't be able to get the vehicle out but if he was stuck in an area where he couldn't get out i know that we have water we have food Mm -hmm. we have blankets we have extra jackets you know hot hands flashlights Mm -hmm. batteries all of that stuff to make sure that we can withstand it if we need to wait for a tow truck yes but also on the other side of that there was a lot of wrecks there was a ton i believe there was a news report that said that there was like over 600 calls within that day for just different types of accidents so what is some advice for people who may have experienced some type of accident? Sure. So we do, um, obviously, automotive repair. We're not a body shop, but a lot of these accidents affect the steering and suspension of the vehicle. Um, you'd be surprised how little of a you know awkward collision with the suspension system can affect how the vehicle drives, steers, stops, goes, etc. And so we fix a lot of suspension-related uh, impacts from slick conditions like it is. So one of several things, and I, and I know I need to be somewhat concise here, if you can stay home, and I know this is like the low-hanging fruit, right. please do it. Uh, now, I will gladly share this with everybody out there. I'm the one that wants to show everybody that I I can get out when nobody else can. And as I've gotten older, that bravado has kind of been like, you know what, that's pretty dang dumb. You know what I mean? <laughs> as well as the uh, vehicles that I have are equipped better to deal with it than, than when I was younger. Or if you have a high horsepower rear wheel drive vehicle, don't go out. You know, I I see the Challengers, the Chargers, the Mustangs, the Camaros, 
you know, those are all good weather vehicles. Those aren't, hey, I've got slick road conditions. It ain't worth it. Secondly, even your front-wheel drive vehicles or four-wheel drive vehicles don't go and stop well on ice. You know, there's some footage out there. I think you and I were talking off air about that uh, fire truck that I guarantee the the driver, he, he handled himself well. I mean, is it slid or spun through and thankfully uh, you know as far as i'm concerned god was looking out for whoever and wherever around him that he didn't impact anybody their cars their homes right i mean that thing would have took out a whole house had he hit it so when you see things sliding around like that i don't care what your boss says to be honest if your boss is any kind of a decent boss they're going to understand and they're going to be calling you to say stay home Um, and if they're not you probably need to find a better place to work but that's low-hanging fruit Second part of that, uh, obviously, you know, when I was a kid, I don't know if cinders is even a thing anymore, but I remember my mom and dad talking about keeping cinders in the car. I'm not actually sure what that is. It's like an asphalt uh, derivative or something for traction. Some people keep cat litter. Some Mm -hmm. people keep salt, um, different kinds of traction adders out there, which is always nice. Airing down your tires is probably the one not a lot of people think about. And you have to be very diligent. Any of my off-road people, when you go, you know, rock climbing or whatever, a lot of what they do is reduce the air pressure in the tires, which makes it uh, conform to the road better, more surface area. Now, you don't want to drive at high speeds with, you know, deflated tires, if you will. So that's one that really helps a lot that people don't overlook. Now, when I say that, you know, your typical passenger car tires around 35 PSI, Depending on the conditions and the speed I'm going, I may air them down, you know, 15, 20 PSI, and it allows that tire to conform and grip a tremendous amount better. Um, But when you get into good road conditions and the speed goes up, you had better air up those tires back to factory specification. Otherwise, you'll ruin them or the car won't handle like it's supposed to. So that's probably one of the biggest help items that I could put out there for people. Um, Just be mindful as well as if you don't have good tires you need to make sure that either you're staying home or you're investing in a better set of tires so that is our first segment sarah and i are going to step into a break you're listening to 1041 ksgf we're going to be right back after the break your complete car care solution a1 custom car care all right welcome back you got sarah and dustin a1 custom car care i'm sure we all paid attention to the news um, with the weather coming in. And I know you've got some some stories over there. I do. Um, our friends, I, at least where I heard or saw the news article was in Chicagoland area. So mm-hmm. I imagine it was colder there than it was here in Springfield. Uh, but they were having some uh, electric vehicle charging problems. That's from what funny I hear. you say that because that <clears throat> is the article that I have here. Oh, is it in the Chicago land? Oh, I see it. It there. is Chicago area. <clears throat> so Tesla's, you know, I feel like we're always like just dogging on them. And I just want to clarify, I'm not anti-electric vehicles no, whatsoever. No, I'm not either. I hope that doesn't come through. Um, the show. I mean, I think they're interesting, mm-hmm. but being force fed. Yes. That is the problem yeah. that I have with them yeah. is don't tell me that I have to purchase yeah. something. And then try and take away my internal combustion. Dependable. Uh-huh. Dependable, I think, is the biggest word here. Right. Especially when we have extreme weather conditions. I think that even is a bigger deal and I don't know, I'm sure it was back in the day, but maybe the general population was more hardy back then, if you will. 
um, the news that I saw about the Chicagoland area, these people really didn't know what to do. Yeah. They just were kind of standing there like, eh, you know, exactly. my electric car. Uh, what does the article kind of say? And, and I'll kind of chime in on what at least I saw on the news. Sure. Okay. So this is what it says. Desperate Tesla owners in and around Chicago were seen trying to charge their vehicles with no luck amid frigid temperatures that have gripped the Midwest. Charging stations have essentially turned into car graveyards (laughs) in recent days as temperatures dropped into the negative double digits. Nothing. No juice. Still on 0% Tyler Beard, who had been trying to recharge his Tesla at an Oak Brook, Illinois, Tesla supercharging station since Sunday afternoon, told the news outlet. And this is like three hours being here after being out here for three hours yesterday. Mm. Beard and several other Tesla owners, they had been trying to charge their cars amid long lines and abandoned cars at other Tesla charging stations in the Chicago area. This is crazy. It's a disaster. Seriously, said Tesla owner. Ch- I believe her name is Chilas Mazel. Mazel said that she abandoned her car and got a ride from a friend after hers would not charge. Hold on. I want to interrupt. Do you think that was an electric vehicle that she got a ride from? I bet it wasn't. I'm just throwing that out there. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Um, Another man said, we've got a bunch of dead robots out here. (laughs) Now, Kevin Sumerick told the Fox station that he landed Sunday night at Chicago O'Hare International Airport, and he found his Tesla dead and unable to start, and he was forced to hire a flatbed tow truck Mm. to haul his vehicle to a working charging station. Now, one expert told the news outlet that cold weather came can impact the ability of electric vehicles to charge properly. It's not plug and go. You have to precondition the battery, meaning that you have to get the battery up to an optimal temperature to accept a fast charge, said Mark Bielik of the Chicago Auto Trade Association. Now, of course, Fox Business, they reached out to Tesla, but they never heard back. You know, that's accurate. I mean, you, you especially with batteries, and Sarah, you know, I've talked about this till we're probably blue in the face. Um, I actually like a lot about the electric vehicle. Even Elon, uh, you know, I don't agree with everything the man says, but he's clearly a fairly intelligent individual. And honestly, he's built almost a better electric vehicle than a lot of other manufacturers. And the infrastructure, that's the other thing he's doing, is he's figuring out how to build a electric charging infrastructure that nobody else has done. Mm-hmm. So the man's doing a tremendous amount of, of things here. And so there's a lot of it that I I like, I agree with. However, when you have a great idea, uh, I think Mike Tyson says that, you know, everybody's got a plan when they get in a fight until they get punched in the face. That's one of my favorite. Uh, And then that plan goes out the window, you know. And really, that's what I look at, or I guess that's where my mindset's coming from when they release this new technology that they have. It's a great idea at that point, as far as I'm concerned. And then the punch in the face is when we figure out how it actually is going to work in real world experience or real world conditions. Now, extreme temperature swings is real world. It's not always sunny in 65 here in in the United States or anywhere across the country. I mean, there's some moderate places out there, but point being is you'll have different problems there and you have to work through those problems and figure out, hey, what I didn't do right, what I could have done better and what we're going to do about these problems. So that's the response to getting punched in the face. And I'm, you know, being a little dramatic here, but I think this is all very accurate. So what does that mean to you and I as general Uh, consumers. 
when you buy an experimental vehicle and a new technology, you are the beta test person and you are going to be able to work all the bugs out or find all the bugs. And then they are going to go back to the drawing board and model 2.0, 3.0, whatever, etc., will get better and better and better. But I'm not buying 1 and 2.0 here. And that's what you've got with all this stuff. The internal combustion concept has been around for over 100 years at this point. And the reliability, dependability, and usability has been refined. I'm sure when the first internal combustion engine came out, it was probably a piece of junk. I mean, it. I guarantee they had problem after problem after problem after problem. And so they have worked th through those for 100 years. I'm buying that technology. That's where I'm going with this. Now, did this cold sap, did I have some uh, breakdowns and failures? Actually, yeah, I did. I have <laughs> three cars go down during this cold snap that was personal to us uh, in our fleet, whether it was kids' cars or our cars. I shared a lot of that last week with you guys. But they were pretty quick to get back on the road. I didn't have to, I did have to tow two of them, um, but I was able to figure them out, acquire parts very quickly, get them fixed. And then the kids, they got school and work and all the stuff, just like the rest of us. They were able to get back in their car and go about their business. So the extremes will foil uh, even an internal combustion engine, but the infrastructure, the information, and the ability to write those ships, if you will, is very easy. Unfortunately, with this Tesla situation, they were out all the time standing in the cold, which time is money. I don't care who you are. The older I get, the more I value time way more than I value money, by the way. And not just time in general, but quality time. But I digress. That's a whole nother show. Second part of that is they were out the time. Now we're out the money of the tow truck and sitting there and missing work and you're out of vehicle. So maybe you're renting a vehicle, maybe you're Ubering and they get to the Tesla dealer. I'm not a Tesla certified technician, but I bet the um, resolution for these problems is wait a little while and let the weather warm up. I bet so. So maybe they charge for that. Maybe they don't. Depends on the situation. Um there's a lot of cost to you in owning electric vehicle, even though you're not buying gas. Right. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Sarah, and, and if I speak out of turn here, one of these real liberal cities, uh, it may have been liberal states as well. Uh, now I'm thinking it must have been California. But anyway, they're proposing a tax to take care of the infrastructure of the roads if you own an EV vehicle because you're not paying tax on fuel. Yep. And so... Really, this EV situation, it's a gimmick. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, at some point, will we probably be rolling in some electric stuff? Sure. Am I open to it? Yeah. Can I work on it, learn how to fix it and how the systems work? Yeah, I can do all that. So none of this scares or concerns me, with the exception is this is still an experimental technology out there. And I'm not pooping on anybody that's got EV vehicles out there, but I would hope you have an internal combustion gas engine backup or diesel, whichever case it may be, as well as I do a fair amount of emissions testing, which there's not, you know, we're not in an emissions county here in Missouri. I think there's only one or two and they're up by St. Louis, if I remember right. Um, I use emissions, which is basically the gases that are coming out of your tailpipe to correctly diagnose and fix some of your vehicles. So I know what pollutants are coming out of these. And to the point that I made earlier, after 100 years, they have really refined 
the tailpipe emissions, which is the biggest thing that the EPA is really pushing right now. And as far as I'm concerned, the people steering the wheel at some of these government agencies never had a real world job. And so they don't have any real world experience when they come up with this BS regulations and force feed us these hybrid vehicles. I bet you a dollar they're probably not driving a hybrid. And if they are, when it gets so cold, they come up with a gas engine somewhere or extreme either either side of it. Extreme heat will do it as well. Um, and they figure out how to get the dog on. You know, they park their EV and they go with an internal combustion. So there are some better than other EV vehicles out there. I think Toyota probably does one of the best jobs with some of the EV stuff out there. Um, the other manufacturers are trying to keep up, but still a lot of bugs to work out of this this situation that um, we're being kind of pigeonholed into, as well as I see, and myself included, a lot of folks looking for specific older vehicles to invest in instead of some of even the new late model internal combustion because of the regulations um, that are going into the cafe or the fuel economy standards, I see folks hanging on to, and, and rightfully so, that's kind of where my mind's at. You know, I've talked many times, you know, our, our shop truck or our warehouse truck, I think is an 06 three-quarter ton two-wheel drive Chevy pickup with a six liter, probably 350 to 380,000 miles on it. Uh, stock rotating assembly, which would be your piston crank rods, you know, the lower end of the engine. I have had the heads off of it. And we have put a few transmissions in it over the years, but we're going almost 400,000 with a, uh, you know, vehicle that's, uh, you know, getting ready to be 30 years old. So maybe 25 years old, if I do my math right, somewhere in there. Point being is if you take care of it, it takes care of you. If you buy something that has a flawed engineering design or an experimental technology in it, you had better know that and go into it eyes wide open. Otherwise, you're going to be very disappointed. And I don't like that. I love driving, and I want you to love driving. So we're down at the bottom of the hour. Sarah and I are going to step into the break. I think she's got some more uh, news articles. When we come back, we're going to bust into that. Through complete car care solution. Custom Car Care. All right. Welcome back, Sarah Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. I feel like we're hating on EVs a little bit. I was about to say, I'm going to reiterate we are not (laughs) anti EV. If you have an EV out there and you love it, it works for you. I'm happy for you. Actually, send us in something. Can they do that? Uh Yeah. Like, you know, if if you guys own one and you feel like Sarah and I are stepping out of bounds here, um, let us know. Yeah. I'd like to know it. Yeah, you can text in. Our text line yeah. is 417-447-5743. Sorry, I should mention that more often in the show. But if you do have an EV out there and you do love it, and I know a couple people yeah. that do have EVs and they do like them. If you lived like in Springfield and you didn't venture out, yeah. I think it'd probably be a pretty good rig. Yeah, if you that was just your grocery getter yeah. or you were going to the doctor's office or, you know, just doing your typical mm-hmm. running around. Yeah. I think that would be great. But if you are a person who drives quite a bit or if you live out in the country and you have a pretty big commute Mm -hmm. um, and then you have to deal with winter weather on top of that, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I don't know. So anyways, 
reiterating we don't hate EVs, <laughs> but I do have another EV story for you. What you got? So Hertz, you know, the retail giant are they? for the, are they the car deal? rental. Yeah. I was so. thinking it was kind of mom and pop. But I guess, no, <laughs> so it hurts. They said that they're going to be selling about 20,000 electric vehicles from their U.S. fleet. And do you know what they're going to be doing? They're reinvesting in gas-powered vehicles. Shocker. Mm-hmm. So the offloading of those EVs will cut the company's global EV fleet by roughly one-third, Hertz said, mm. in a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The rental car giant said it would allocate funds it gets from selling the vehicles towards purchasing more internal combustion engine vehicles mm. to, quote, meet customer demand. Yep. Mm-hmm. The company expects this action to better balance supply against expected demand of EVs, Hertz said. This will position the company to eliminate a disproportionate number of lower marginal rentals and reduce damage expense associated with mm-hmm. EVs. Hertz said it expects selling the EVs to take place in an orderly fashion during 2024. It started offloading them late last year, according to the company. Now, various older model Tesla are going to be available for purchase from Hertz with prices as low as about $20,000. Now, the Hertz car sales website showed some recently had price tags below that $20,000 mark. Uh, The company also has EVs from other automakers up for sale. Hertz said it intends to continue to actively manage the total size of its EV fleet, as well as the allocation of EVs among customer segments, including leisure, corporate, government, and rideshare. Now, the CEO, Stephen Schur, said in late October last year that electric vehicles were approximately 11% of its overall pool of vehicles, and its global fleet averaged 590 thousand vehicles and that includes ICEs and EVs in the third quarter according to the company's chief financial officer. In the fall of 2021 the rental car company said it was going to invest in acquiring $100,000 Teslas to help build its EV fleet. Now Hertz said Thursday it will continue to execute its strategy around EV mobility and it plans on keeping a wide selection of vehicles available for its customers. Now Hertz disclose the move to trim the number of EVs uh, it has nearly a month before it releases their fourth quarter earnings. The EV sales, the company said, will bring about $245 million incremental net depreciation expenses uh, in that fourth quarter. Wow. So there you have it. So everybody else out there that owns a EV, this is going to plummet the resale price, by yeah. the way. So talk about that resale mm-hmm. of EVs. I know it's something that we have talked about in the past, yeah. but it's been a long time since we've talked about mm-hmm. it. Now, most vehicles, there is that saying that vehicles depreciate a certain percentage mm-hmm. as soon as they roll off of that lot. And it's a bigger jump, supposedly, for EVs. So from what I kind of heard from that, it's almost a 50% depreciation. You know, if Correct. they're going to sell them for twenty grand, most of those, you know, and I've looked on uh, Carvana and mm-hmm. Auto Trader and stuff, um, there is a fairly big, or it's beginning to be a bigger market for used uh, EV vehicles, but they're not bringing money. They're They're just not, and rightfully so. You know, you look at a failed battery or a degraded battery, and there are some companies out there doing uh, reconditioning on some of the batteries, et cetera, but it's just not a long-term dependable vehicle, and people are paying accordingly for it. So that 20000 
I think that's optimistic, honestly. Yeah. Well, I think you'll be able there were to, some of them that were under even. I think you'll be able to pick up quite a few of them for that. I'm going to get on their website. Ten to fifteen thousand dollar range out there. And, you know, if I could get a deal on one, anybody that knows me is that I am a sucker for a deal. Like, if I can get a deal on a trailer, I will hawk my boots in order to buy that trailer. And I'm being a little dramatic here. But point being is I will really do some crazy stuff in order to, you know, pick up a vehicle that's distressed or not where it should be and you know rehab it and either use it or use it for a while and then send it on down the road once i've got all the the bugs worked out of it if you will so have i done that with an ev at this point no is it on my list of things to do yeah it sure is because that in my opinion is the best way to get intimately uh, knowledgeable about some of these platforms is to use it and and experience what it's like day-to-day to own, operate, and, and utilize a piece of equipment. Whether it's a skid steer or a diesel truck or an EV, I, I, it's all in the same category for me. So when they start to really fall down in price, that's when I'm going to start picking them up and experimenting with them so I have a good understanding about what was not engineered correctly and what possible options that I can come up with or companies that I can find that will help me with some of those options. That's really the magic or the mindset behind A1 Custom Car Care is that as a company, so this is so much bigger than Dustin Atwood by this point, as a company, it's not just me that is diving into this new technology, uh, resolution technology that basically solves a lot of these problems. That's why I've been so successful personally and why I feel like um, I've been able to, you know, be a part of something with A1 that is progressive in the mindset that we are rolling with the punches and figuring these problems out. I have a question for you, and you may have mentioned it while I was searching on Hertz's website. Mm -hmm. What is the average uh, mile span of an EV battery? That is a really tough question to answer. It typically is more in years than miles, in my opinion. Okay, so so then what's the year? 10 years is really kind of my threshold, um, and that's probably a little generous. I am basing that off of my experience with uh, some of the Toyota hybrids out there, um, as well as even, you know, I've, I've had some work with some of the GMs out there. The reason I don't have a lot of EV experience is they are not covered with the Right to Repair Act. And so any internal combustion made vehicles, I have to legally have access to parts, information, and tooling to service those vehicles. With EVs, Tesla in general, um, they don't have to give me anything. If I owned that car and I wanted to buy a control arm for that car, they don't have to sell it to me. Even if I was the owner of the car, if I wanted to do XYZ customization to that car, there's not a lot of access to information that I need or you would need as a consumer because the Right to Repair Act does not cover those vehicles. But Sarah and I need to take one more break and we're going to pick it up and wrap this up in a little bow right after this. Your complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. All right, welcome back. We got just a little bit of time. You've got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care Hour, I guess is what we should call this thing. We're a hot mess today, I'll tell you what. But 
in the break, you brought up uh, the car telling you it needs an oil change. Oh, yes. And so I'd like to air that out a little sure. bit. Um, for the record, the car, that's more of an algorithm than uh-huh. it is anything. It does monitor the idle runtime, mm-hmm. which is important. It somewhat monitors the mileage. But there is no sensor, and I think a lot of people think that there's a sensor that kind of like determines how much oil life's left. Right. Um, as well as, you know, hey, if you get low on oil, they think there's a sensor in there that'll just tell you. The light that comes on when it's low on oil is because it senses a lack of oil pressure. Okay. There's no sensor in there. that There are some vehicles out there, but they're far and few in between and they don't work very well, that actually checks the depth of oil that's up to the driver Mm -hmm. the driver's still supposed to be doing that or if you've got a service center like ours and we do this for a lot of folks if we do your normal service and maintenance on it just run it by and we'll check it and say hey you need a quarter oil or hey you're good that saves you and i just had this recently happen i had a gentleman pull up and he he called me on the phone i knew he was coming and i hate to throw him under the bus but i'm gonna because I hopefully this helps somebody out there. He would drive it until the oil light came on, and then he would add oil. And he'd oh. been doing this for a while. Well, he did it a little too long this time, and he said the noise, you know, that I talked to him on the phone is that, oh, yeah, my engine's making a noise. Can you look at it? Well, I could hear him before I even made it outside. It had, it had ruined one of the rods or the rod bearing, and I, it was a rod knock. I mean, the guy needed an engine, and he was just devastated. He's like, well, how could this happen? I waited, or I put oil in it when the light came on. Well, the damage is already done before the light comes on. Right. So the false hope of the car will tell you um, that it needs an oil change or that it's low on oil is really typically a false understanding from the operator of the vehicle. It is a system that still needs checks, still needs maintained, still needs topped off. And just because you can go 10,000 miles on an oil change, supposedly, in my opinion, that's a marketing ploy for the dealers or manufacturers to be able to sell you more cars. Because when you run a late model car low on oil, um, they all consume oil. They consume oil a lot. And even if you don't leak oil and it burns, you know, say you got a four and a half quart system, which is very common on a lot of late model cars, and you burn their acceptable one quart for every thousand or one quart for every 700 or one quart for every 1200 miles is their acceptable oil consumption. Let's do the math on that. Let's just, just pick easy math. And let's say the spec is a, a quart every thousand miles and the manufacturer is completely okay with that. Well, you got a four and a half quart system and they're telling you, you can go, let's say 5,000 miles or 10,000 miles. Well, in my math, four and a half quarts at one quart per thousand, you're going to be out of oil. And I, I've talked till I'm blue in the face and I honestly kind of quit bringing it up here on the show because I feel like I was just the gloom and doom pastor that tells everybody they're going to Hades if they don't change their oil. But the reality of it is, is that's what kills some of these engines. And the price of heavy line repair like that is going through the roof. I mean, I'm seeing on certain uh, late model vehicles, engines costing me $10,000 cost, 
inking me $10,000. I recently saw a used engine in a Kia sell for $5,300 for a used engine. That's not installed. That's not any parts to dress the engine. And I don't talk about pricing on here very much because it changes so rapidly. But when we're talking about this stuff, when I talk about doing an oil change every three to 5,000 miles as a max, that's not in my best interest. That's not honestly even in the best interest of A1 Custom Car Care or whoever your chosen repair facility is. I don't make tons of money doing oil changes. I do oil changes because it's a necessity to protect my customers' vehicles, okay? And I'm cool with that. That's why I got into this business is I love keeping vehicles running personally for decades and I can do it. And I've done it and there's a ton of proof out there. And a lot of people driving those vehicles around that I or one of our folks have have cared for and loved. I may not always remember your name or your face, but if I worked on your car even 20 plus years later, there's a good chance I remember it. And when we talk about the faith of just listening to the car, it just, I wish, I truly wish that that was accurate. And could they design it that way? They absolutely could. But they design it just poorly enough that you depend or you think that it's doing that for you. And in reality, it's not. It's a false sense of comfort is what it is. Now, when I bring, especially before I go on a trip, but fairly often, um, even with the kids, a lot of times I'm, you know, pulling the dipstick on it, checking the tires, test driving it at least monthly, at least monthly. And hopefully I have put in some of that in them. Now, in the big scheme of things, they're probably going to have to blow up and ruin a vehicle before they really understand the importance of what I'm trying to put out there for them. Now, they do a good job. When something happens, I get a message or a phone call almost immediately, and I greatly appreciate that because it helps keep the problem small and not let the problem get so big that now um, I'm reacting to it instead of it reacting to my input on the problem. So the expectation and long story here is basically the manufacturers have figured out how to push the maintenance out or the cost of ownership to the point that their warranty claims are low and that the vehicles don't last hundreds of thousands of miles. So you're forced into a catastrophic decision repair or trading it in and getting a new problem or a new potential problem. And they keep telling you, oh, it's lifetime fluid, it's 10,000 mile oil change intervals, it's, you know, fill in the blank, it's coolant that you never have to change, Um, let's delete the hydraulic power steering and put electric power steering so you don't have that cost of ownership. Oh, wait, we do a poor job designing our electric power steering system so they break all the time. So instead of maintenance and hundreds of thousands of reliable miles from a hydraulic system, it's uh, less than hundreds of thousands of miles, sometimes less than 100,000, and you get a heavy expense of a rack and pinion or electric assist motor in the steering column or, you know, fill in the electric system, and it's no longer repair, which is always, I'm sorry, it's no longer maintenance, it's repair, and maintenance is always cheaper than repairs. I hope that sinks in out there. So when Sarah and I get on here and we talk about how to care for your vehicle or, 
you know, the maintenance, it's not that I'm trying to push the fact that I want to do more oil changes. That's actually a bad business model in my experience. I push the more oil changes or the more maintenance services, and there are other fluids that need to be taken care of on your vehicle. I push that because it's better for you. That if you can get another year or three or 10 years out of a vehicle that you've paid off, how different does that change your life? And I don't mean that I'm changing lives. I don't mean that at all. I mean the fact that you are not constantly going back into debt to continuously purchase poorly engineered vehicles, your life or that debt burden is going to significantly change. And maybe the debt isn't what you're after. Maybe you still want debt, but maybe instead of buying a new vehicle every five to eight years, that vehicle lasts you an extra eight years, and maybe you can buy something that improves your life, not just transportation-wise. Maybe you want a boat. Well, if I can get eight or 10 more years out of a vehicle for you, then you can afford to buy a boat, pay it off, and then buy a new vehicle at that point in time, and you still have something that you can enjoy. Maybe it is paying more on your house to get your house paid off quicker, but you still have dependable transportation. Maybe it's buying a four-wheeler or a tractor. A tractor is what I actually bought a few years back. Um, when Stacy and I bought our house out near Clever, it's got a little bit of acreage and I had acreage previously and I had a tractor previously and I knew that to take care of that property, I was going to need some piece of equipment. So my trucks at that point in time were probably around 300,000 miles. And the question was, is how much do I believe in myself as a mechanic? Can I sign on the dotted line and buy a tractor here locally. Terry, if you're out there at the tractor barn, I appreciate your help, by the way. That's not a paid endorsement. That's a sincere. I called Terry on the phone, and she helped me better over the phone than I had experienced at any other dealer. So I went to the tractor barn, and I bought from her. Very knowledgeable. Extremely knowledgeable. Um, but the question was... Can I sign on the dotted line for a seven-year loan and my truck will I be, will be able to keep dependable transportation at 300 plus thousand miles until that tractor is paid off? Well, I got about $22 or $300 left to pay on that tractor. I'm going to pay it off this year. And I did buy a truck last year. Everybody that's listened to the show kind of knows that. And I was able to do that because I was able to keep the vehicles that I had running for that experience extended period of time to allow me something that will increase my capabilities and not have to work physically as hard to do the same task. So what I'm getting at here is you fill in your blank, you know, mine obviously was tractor. Maybe it's just you stockpile some money or you buy some gold and silver. Or you invest in something that matters to you outside of transportation. How different did that change my ability to do things around my place, having equipment versus another pickup or a replacement pickup? Well, it did a bunch. And it continues to do a bunch, not only for me, but for my friends, family, and loved ones, that I have a piece of equipment that not everybody's got. doesn't make me special. But I can be like, hey, I can help you out. I can load up the tractor. I can come see you. I can take care of business. And then I can come back home. I have that ability because my truck lasted another six years in this case. And I was able to sell it, by the way. It's not like it was a clapped out hunk of garbage. 
I was able to sell it and recoup every dollar that I got or I invested in that truck back out of it. And I drove it for many years. Uh, I think I owned that particular truck, um, not quite six years, but a good part of that. And in order to get that one ton truck, I was able to trade a half ton truck that I had done some work to and acquire that one. So between the two of them, I did not have a truck payment for seven years or six years, I guess. And I was able to allocate that money somewhere else. Sarah, would that change your life at all if you didn't have to make car payments? Oh my goodness, would it ever? <laughs> <laughs> well, believe it or not, we are officially out of show. If you're out there in Radio Land, you have a question or a comment for us, feel free to text us on our text line. That phone number is 417-447-5743. Or you can reach out to us on our social media. That is at 1041KSGF. Dustin, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. You as well. Be safe out there. Bye.